The official name is the M1117 uh, Armored Security Vehicle. It's primarily used by military police uh, teams. The two main armaments that it has is the Mark 19 is the primary weapon and the coax is a 50 caliber. And it it can take a beating. It it, it saved our lives. They started walking the rockets up and down the uh, staging area where our vehicles are at and it just all hell broke loose it was it was bad and one of those one of those rockets hit us uh, direct direct impact through the engine block hi and welcome to the spear a podcast by the modern war institute at west point I'm John Amble, Editorial Director at MWI, and The Spear is our platform to explore the combat experience. Each episode includes a single one-on-one interview with a guest who walks us through a particular event and their role in it. A battle, a firefight, a mission. It's a first-person account of combat. This is a special episode. It's the first time a listener has heard the podcast and reached out to tell us that he was also present for the event described in it. We recently aired a conversation with Major John Chambers about the time in 2007 when the combat outpost in Baghdad, where his battalion was located, was hit by a new weapon that hadn't been seen on the battlefield in Iraq yet, an improvised rocket-assisted munition. Chambers was a lieutenant at the time and the battalion engineer. Also there that day was Patrick Melton. This was his first deployment, and he was part of the military police element that also lived on and worked out of the outpost. When the IRAMs hit, he was in a vehicle as his team was preparing to leave on a mission. The vehicle took a direct hit. His story is incredible, and I really hope listeners make sure they also hear the previous episode with John Chambers. Taken together, two perspectives, two stories of a single attack, really make clear how individual, how unique each combat experience really is. Before we get to my conversation with Patrick, just a couple quick notes. First, if you're not already subscribed to The Spirit, you can do so wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you like the stories we're trying to share, please take just a moment to give the podcast a rating or leave a review. And second, as always, what you're about to hear are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. All right, here's my conversation with Patrick Melton. Patrick, thanks so much for taking some time and... uh... I guess sharing the story you're going to share for an episode of The Spear. Well, it's my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. So uh, this is kind of an interesting episode for us because it's it's the first time that uh, somebody has heard one of our episodes and then reached out and said, hey, I, I was there too. You know, I experienced the same thing, but from a different perspective. And I think it's a really cool opportunity. We actually just aired, re-aired uh, the previous one, uh, the previous episode that talked about this incident so that listeners can kind of hear them kind of juxtaposed against one another um and really i think the two together what i like about about doing this is that the two together really illustrate just how kind of individual how unique a combat experience can be even when two people experience the same the same event so the event that we're talking about is uh is from cop callahan in 2007 is that right that's correct so can you kind of give a little bit of background, first of all, um, just for listeners to kind of introduce yourself. What was your job in the Army, um, and, and, and how did you end up at Cop Callahan in, in 2007? Okay. Um, well, I enlisted in the military 2005 as a delayed entry uh, soldier, uh, as a military policeman. Uh, 
graduated high school May 25th, 2006. Went to basic training three weeks later, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Uh, upon uh, graduation, I was assigned to uh, Fort Bragg and through in process and through the in process uh, in processing station, I was given orders to the 108th MP Company, 16th MP Brigade Airborne, and I got to my unit uh, about the tail end of December, beginning of January, and I was told in no certain terms, don't get too comfortable. We're deploying to Iraq this coming May. And by the way, you're a machine gunner. So for the first four months of uh, 2007, I was training to be a machine gunner in both light and heavy weapons. And when we deployed to uh, Kuwait and uh, Iraq, my team was uh, given a was it a three-day crash course on the ASV uh, armor security vehicle that we be that we were going to be using in Iraq. Uh, we started uh, our 15-month tour um, in Mosul doing three months uh, convoy security uh, from Key West to multiple bases up and around uh, northern Iraq. And then once uh, those three months were over, we transitioned to Baghdad and our company was split up to multiple different uh, cops and fobs. My platoon was sent to uh, Ademiya district in the northeastern part of Baghdad, adjacent to Sadr city. Uh, the rest of the company was uh, split between multiple uh, bases in central Baghdad. And that's where we were, we were pretty much our own standalone platoon for 12 months. Uh, our job in Baghdad, as well as our MP company, was to train and assist local Iraqi police uh, stations within our districts to, well, to be better uh, at integrating with the uh, the, police, uh, the uh, local populace, much like okay. the police department um, you see here. So I want to I want to ask you a couple questions about what we just talked about. So you, it, so you start your first three three months are doing convoy security. After that, you um, have a different mission in the part of uh, northern Baghdad that you were in. Uh, you mentioned a vehicle, the ASV. Can you yes. just kind of describe that for listeners? Yes, it's the uh, the official name is the M eleven seventeen uh, armor security vehicle. It's primarily used by military police uh, teams. Or companies, it's pretty much a huge armored uh, vehicle. Um, the two main armaments that it has is the Mark 19 is the primary weapon, and the coax is a 50 caliber. Um, and it 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 saved our lives. I mean, it's it can take a beating. It it's rated for um, high impact. Um, uh, roadside bombs, uh, for example, the the wheel, uh, the chassis, it can withstand a two, was it, two anti tank mines double stacked on one another, and the vehicle will survive. It can take um, a one five five 
air burst about 25 feet above the vehicle and it'll st still be operational um imagine the same uh, munitions used on the home v it will just split that vehicle in half so it it will take uh, take a beating and keep the uh, crew alive so when you when you get to baghdad this is what your platoon is essentially rolling around and conducting your missions uh, yes one of the uh, each squad was given an asv and um, one team from each squad was trained on that vehicle, uh, like I stated earlier. So everyone in my squad was rolling in 1114 up armored Humvees, and I was my team was rolling in the uh, ASV for the, okay. from August to uh, November. So when you get to Baghdad, uh, were you living at Cop Callahan with the battalion that was headquartered there? Yes, we were. Um, living with the uh, 82nd Airborne that was stationed there at that time, yes. So I, just for listeners, um, you know, it's it, this is, I guess, a really natural thing that you'll have, you might have Cop Callahan, everybody knew it as, you know, the home of this particular battalion during this rotation, but you have all these sort of augmentees and other small units that are assigned there. And so you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're living there just like anybody in this battalion is. Correct. Uh, and was your, was your mission, um, in part force protection of it or, or of, of the cop or was it were you you know kind of out every day engaging uh, with the local police uh, we were out pretty much every day engaging with our uh, partners uh, each squad was given a different district within Automia. Uh the first squad had the Bostatin area which is to the west of Automia, just across the highway uh, second squad had the southern portion of Ur, I believe, which is directly across from Sider City, separated only by a street. And then my squad, third squad, we had the Al Shab district of Anamia. And each squad had its own police department or a police station that we went to eight hours a day or eight to 10 hours a day, every day, to help train the Iraqi police to become more of a community policing, like you uh, see in the United States with police officers um, interacting with shopkeepers, the local populace. Um, so that was that was our job as, the, or as our MP company. Okay, so... And uh, I know we, you know, we've we've done a several episodes that have had some mention to Sadr City. So mm -hmm. uh, listeners that have heard those will know what it is. But for those who have not, um, Sadr City was this area in northeast Baghdad that was a predominantly Shia, um, really kind of slum, densely populated, and for a period of time was kind of a no-go area. And we knew that you know there was going to be have to be a reckoning at some point. I think because. Uh, there were militia forces that were there that were stockpiling weapons. And so everything kind of around the periphery was a little bit, you know, on edge, I think, constantly more so than it was in, in some of the other parts of, of Baghdad at the time. So when you when you get there, uh, you've already got three months in country, but in a very different, you know, area of operations. When you get down to Baghdad, what are the sorts of threats that you were, that your, say, your squad was most concerned about was it ieds was it small arms fire what was it uh it was a combination of everything it was uh snipers ieds efps 
uh, suicide bombers, um, car bombs, everything that you guys have talked about in previous episodes or you see on you know the news or movies, that's pretty much what we faced on a daily basis. Um, even inside should, the compound. And we should say this is... This is in 2007, which is kind Correct. of, you know, it's the height of the surge. Um, and, you know, the the bad guys that were there that the surge was meant to get a handle on were not going down without a fight. So this is a pretty unstable and turbulent and very violent time in, in Baghdad as well. Correct. That was, we were told that Automia district that we were going into was the second most dangerous uh, part of Baghdad outside of Sadr City. And wow. we were barely maybe half a mile away from Sadr City, from where our base was. So you could drive down, go out, go outside the gate, take a right to on uh, Route Crimson to Route Gold, and if you stay on Route Gold, which is diagonal, excuse me, running diagonal um, across Al Shab and Ur, you'll get to Sadr City. Um, on the outskirts of Sadr City within five minutes on on a good okay. day of traffic. So, you know, one of the things that when people think about the war in Iraq, especially I think in, in kind of more densely populated areas, it's it's IEDs are sort of the weapon that, that kind of define that war, um, particularly EFPs, uh, explosively formed penetrators. Um, that, you know, could be hidden by walls. And it was, you know, that, that was sort of the threat that, that we were really, I think, consumed or concerned by. And then one day uh, on Cop Callahan, where your platoon was located, uh, there was a new weapon that made its appearance on the, on the battlefield for the first time, really. And that was the IRAM or lob bomb, which are, we've described it in the past episode, but is essentially... Um, some sort of canister can be made of propane, propane tanks or fire extinguishers or all kinds of things that are uh, sort of have a, a rocket motor assisted or sorry, bolted onto it to, to, to launch it. And they can be filled with uh, ball bearings, other sorts of shrapnel. And they're, I mean, they're, they're dangerous. They're pretty deadly. They're not very accurate, but if they can get close enough to the target, whoever's firing it has a pretty good chance of, of doing some damage and this is the the attack that you experienced right yes that's correct so so what time of day was it uh it was right around seven o'clock in the morning uh we just got done with our squad doing our daily brief daily sigax brief and we we're heading down to the vehicles and we we're uh we we're getting ready to uh roll out and the um, I was inside the ASV doing radio checks with our talk, the other vehicles, making sure you know our radios were functioning. The drivers and uh, team leaders were outside getting a last-minute uh, briefing from our squad leader, and then all of a sudden we hear this noise, like you know those Katusha rockets you hear on a. Those World War II clips, you know, the Russians firing at that screeching metal sound. And I had, I was enclosed in the ASV with my uh, combat vehicle crew member helmet on, and I could hear that noise through the whole, uh, through the armor plating, through my helmet. And I looked through my little uh, side mirror, 
similar to that to the uh, Bradley or Abrams, and I see things come over the, the, the wall. And everybody just scramble back to their vehicles. I don't think my driver or TC touched the front slope of the A's V. They just dove right into it, closed the uh, hatches down, dogged them. And within 10 seconds of them coming in, we started feeling the impacts. Uh, it started, they started walking the rockets up and down the uh, staging area where our vehicles were at. So it was my squad, and I believe our second squad was also out there, along with elements of the uh, White Falcon Brigade. They were heading on, heading out on mission with their vehicles staged, and it just all hell broke loose. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was bad. Um, we could feel the rockets walking it up and down the, uh, like I said, the vehicle staging area. And one of those one of those rockets hit us uh, direct direct impact into the uh, through the engine block, and so, it picked it picked us up. It picked up a twenty nine thousand pound vehicle and it pushed us forward uh, fifteen feet. Wow! So, so this is the, the, this barrage is already going on. You can, I mean, you're you're able to feel uh, yeah. the impact of the rounds that are 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 not you know, right on your vehicle. How, how, how long into it, you know, is this the third impact? Is this the fifth? Is it the 10th? Do you, do you remember? It was, I want to say the third, maybe fourth impact that it came, it was walking right behind us. It was, you know, starting at the far, if you're looking at the building from the motor pool, it was turning from the left and walking to the right towards the, towards the gate. So, um, it maybe three or four rockets in, felt a concussion, and the next thing I know, we get a direct impact. Um, it flung us forward uh, about fifteen feet from impact, and I was I was in the gunner's uh, hatch or a gunner's uh, position, and I look up my gunner's hatch is blown completely off by the overpressure. It uh, blew open all the uh, the hatches that were uh, battle-locked from the inside. Uh, some heavy-duty uh, hinges uh, were blown off the uh, pretty much all the hatches and doors in the uh, crew compartment, which I was in. Um, so you could basically see clear as day outside, out the right-hand side of the vehicle. You can see the T-walls, the fuel tankers, as clear as day. But if you looked outside to your left, it was, it was nothing but smoke, dust, and um, it was it was the worst type of hell imaginable. Did you have any idea what what it was? Uh, we had um, a briefing the night before saying, hey, there's credible intelligence chatter saying hey there's a there's a big attack plan for tomorrow um just be on you know p's and q's make sure your weapons are clean uh didn't know what type of uh attack was coming all all they knew was something big big was planned so had you been on the cop had you been um had you had you been hit by rockets or mortars previously uh, we've been hit by uh, 60 millimeter mortars, 
at least three times a day. Um, nothing but harassing fire just to, you know, make a scramble from, you know, wherever you're at back into the building. Uh, the SOP for the building was if you weren't, if you were not at all mission or doing, um, uh, gate duty, you were inside at all times. Uh, the only time you were allowed not to, you were able to wear, uh, just regular, uh, ACUs or, uh, PT uniforms was going to the shower or to the, uh, Porter Johns. Um, if you're throwing out trash or anything past, uh, five feet away from the building, you have to have, uh, full kit on at all times. So, so, so you'd been mortared. You said it was, yep. it sounds like a pretty frequent thing, but you must, I mean, you, you had to have known at this moment, this is, this is something a hell of a lot bigger than, than it, 60 millimeter mortars. It, uh, yeah, it, we knew right when the sound came on or when we heard the, uh, the rockets being launched that something big was headed away. We didn't, we hadn't, we didn't know the, the scope of it until, uh, a couple of days after, but what are they hitting? They were throwing everything at us that they had. Um, uh, it, it was, we didn't even know what it was. We just heard screeching and then just seeing, you know, we, we could tell it was rockets because some of us or some of the people in the home V's were able to get a bigger view of the munitions coming at us than I could through my little uh, side mirrors. They said it was just like rockets just wobbling over the uh, the uh, perimeter wall, um, and then they started impacting around us. Uh, and like I said, the uh, the impact pushes forward, uh, went through the top of the engine block, or through the uh, top armor, through the engine block, and out the bottom, uh, and it just caused all types of. Uh, malfunctions within the vehicle uh, it blew off one of our tires um, and when I look back at the uh, crew uh, the excuse me the engine compartment where we kept our AT4 rocket launcher the extra cans of 50 caliber ammo extra cans of mark 19 high explosive dual purpose rounds also there's just black thick black smoke coming out of the engine compartment um, my team leader turned around, see where I was. I, I gave him a flash, one thumbs up, and I told him, like, "Hey, we're on fire." He looks back at the uh, engine compartment and tells my driver or our driver, "Start hitting the halon switch, you know, to douse the flames." But the vehicle is already dead. Uh, we can even communicate with the uh, with the rest of the trucks, letting them letting them letting them know that we were hit. And we were bailing out because we've we had uncontrolled fire in the engine compartment with massive amounts of munitions in there, and we decided right then and there in the middle of a rocket barrage that we were bailing out. So they went out their their uh, respective hatches in front, and I opened up what was left of the doors, and I did a combat roll outside the vehicle landed on my back and usually the A's V lower door when you when it's down it usually comes up to your uh, about knee height if you're about six foot uh, I've that's usually what two three feet off the ground 
I did a combat roll and land on my back from five feet off the ground because, like I said, one of the tires got blown off and it shifted the entire uh, vehicle on one side. Um, once I got back my feet, I tried grabbing the uh, our weapons, basically, that were lashed against the uh, left-hand side of the door, trying to get our, trying to get my saw out, trying to get the uh, team leaders and drivers M4 out of the vehicle, just in case we were getting overrun, we would have something to fight with. Um, unfortunately, well, I mean, not unfortunately, thankfully, my team leaders say, hey, just forget those things. Let's go, on, let's get back inside the building. So I still have my CVC helmet on, my body armor, and what we call gunner's pants, which is basically the bottom half of an EOD suit. You got uh, Kevlar pants, uh, for lack of a better term, a diaper, Kevlar diaper that covers um, what the uh, pants don't. And it has a ceramic shin plate from about your knee down to your ankles to protect you from uh, fragmentation up in the uh, gunner's turret. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was running with that, trying to keep from tripping on those pants while avoiding the shrapnels that I was dinging around. You could you could see the impacts further down on the line, and we could feel the, the concussion, the heat, and the uh, shrapnel zinging past us while, we're, while we were running back into the building, or at least trying to find the most inner T-walls to guide us back into the uh, to the actual building. So when uh, you... Sorry to break in and, and interrupt, but so the impact happens, and mm -hmm. it sounds like almost your first instinct, um, and not just yours, but your, your team says, hey, let's get out of this vehicle. You do that. Um, are there still rounds impact? Are there still other of these lob bombs, IRAMs? Yeah, they were, they were still impacting. We got hit by the third and fourth. They were at least from reports later on, there was at least 12 or 15 impacts. So we we're bailing out in the middle of the first, uh, first barrage. And how far from the building was your vehicle? Uh, on a good day, at least same five feet, maybe a hundred feet away from the main entrance of the building. And then you have the QRF positioned and then you have another set of T walls then you have the general uh, vehicle staging, so about maybe same five to hundred feet away. So what's going through your head at that moment? <sighs> Jesus, <laughs> nineteen years old, like man, this is not fun. Um, this is pure, you know, pure panic. I mean, just, I mean, we train for you know indirect fire and basic training and you know the pre-deployment training, so. You know, it, it was joking around like, oh yeah, it's never gonna happen to us. And it's like, but you know, it's just that training kicked in. Like I was, you know, I was, I was scared that, hey, I'm gonna, you know, run to a home V I can't see and knock my, you know, knock myself out, or, you know, I'm gonna get hit by shrapnel or or something something worse. But uh, we made it through, just pretty much by, you know. Uh, touch and feel going through okay that's a home v that's a t wall and we finally made it 
out of that uh, dust cloud and I just collapsed inside the, uh, the building. Just the adrenaline uh, wore off, um, just trying to get that gunner's pants off as far as I, you know, get it off me and so I can actually move. Um, it was it was just chaotic. Um, my driver and uh, team leader took me to the um, aid station where I was treated for scratches and uh, stuff like that. And it was about 7.15 in the morning when the rockets finally stopped uh, coming in. So I was about to like 15 minute attack. And, you know, and, uh, you know we, I hunkered down the aid station until all clear was given. And then the, uh, we just waited for the second round, you know, second wave to come in because that's the, uh, jihadist uh, modus operandi it was do the first wave wait for you know people go out and check the damage and send for you know at least the second wave well they only had one wave uh, of rockets because the vehicle that they had it their launching vehicle was set to be a suicide bomb or a car bomb so we heard that use explosions so we thought hey they're coming through the walls you know I'm in the aid station, so I don't have any weapons. So I was like, well, this, this sucks. Uh, so, and then looking around, I saw a couple of M4s along the wall because the, the infantry guys came in that were on the outside and the uh, guard shack, they were shaking. They came in with their M4s and they put it down. And then we heard through the radio, hey, they're, you know, the walls are breached, you know, because the, the cameras that we had couldn't see through, through the smoke, all they saw was explosions, and they thought, hey, we're being overrun, so I grabbed the nearest M4, and positioned myself along with others along the uh, entrance of the aid station, just waiting. Uh, finally, word came down that, hey, uh, we're good, no one's, uh, no one's in the compound, uh, you know, stand down. Uh, after I was released from the uh, aid station with orders to come back every couple hours to check on my concussion, you know, started talking to uh, other squads, other, you know, other teams in our squad. They thought we were all dead. My team, they thought our, our entire team was wiped out because they, they saw the impact of our, of the ASV and after that, they couldn't see anything. And then uh, their vehicle was maybe 10 feet behind ours when they saw the impact. And after after the impact, they couldn't see anything past the front front of their front end of their Humvee. So they thought every one of us was dead because by the time the rockets you know stopped coming in, they ran to the ASV and it was fully engulfed in flames. The, uh, the ammunition exploded the terror was blown off into the HLZ they thought we were dead because all the doors were blown open but we walked out of the front door and they looked at us like well where the hell did you guys come from and we told yeah, them you know, we went to the aid station you know I, so I, I was in uh, I was in on the other side of Sauter City in the south side of Sauter City at FOB Loyalty when it got hit by an IRAM attack. And I th- about six months later, 
or so in the spring of 2008. And I mean, the damage that, you know, even, even, even a, 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 a near impact does to mm-hmm. vehicles is astounding. I mean, these yeah. are, these are devastating weapons. So it's, yeah. it's no shock that people would look at that vehicle and say, how could anybody survive that? Cause these, right. I mean, these are, these are incredibly destructive weapon systems. Exactly. But I want to ask it, you, you had, um, you, you know, you mentioned you made one reference to training. Obviously that's like that, that is what the U S army does really, really, really well. It trains and trains and trains. It takes you from, you know, crawl to walk, to run. And, and the purpose of that is really so that things become muscle memory. So when something like this happens, you know, you guys all have, you know, up until that attack, you're all aware of your surroundings, you know, you know, you're, you're thinking clearly. And then this happens and it, I mean, it just, it's like destabilizing, right? You're trying to figure out which way is up. Um, And, and I think in that sense, like what training is meant to do is to take you from being kind of off kilter, being sort of destabilized and returning you back to, okay, we're ready to fight. If we got to fight, how long did that process take? I know that you guys ran in and you were in the aid station, but how long was it before, you know, your team leader had accountability and if, if, if you had to be ready to, to do something you could have? Uh, well, they dropped me off at the aid station because they still had their, uh, sidearms with them. Mine was in the AZV because I couldn't wear it with my, uh, couldn't wear my pistol belt with the, uh, gunner's pants on. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty much unarmed. And then, like I said, you know, some of the infantry guys had their M4s stacked along the wall. Uh, but my team leader and my driver, uh, after they went to the H or left me at the H station, I can't really recount where they were at or what they were doing. But after, I guess they were up in the talk saying, Hey, Milton's down the H station. Harrison and I are here. We're good. You know, vehicles on fire. So I guess they were, I guess they were updating our uh, platoon sergeant because our, our LT was out on the uh, in the vehicle staging area as well. So it was, he was giving reports to our platoon sergeant. And then after the rocket attack and the pretty much explosion of my ASV to do the cookoff, you know, everyone assembled back into the. Uh, atrium and just the look of disbelief that we made out of the ASV you know pretty much unscathed well a couple scratches you know concussions all around but other than that made it out alive but so when you know when uh, you had three months up in Mosul mm -hmm. um, you had you had some time down at Cop Callahan um, you had some time in Baghdad. You had been, you said you got hit by sixties pretty much every day. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a high threat environment. You're exactly. already dealing with some stuff, but did this, was this like a, was this a, a turning point in the deployment in any way? Did it change your mentality? Uh, it, it brought it home because in, in, up in the convoys, we saw a couple of, you know, dead bodies along the median, you know, we stopped, gave, uh, you know, coordinates so, you know, the local Iraqi army or the joint Iraqi army, American army could come in and get the bodies and stuff like that. So seeing dead bodies, 
on, on the side of the road or having ID impacts. It wasn't um, new to us. It was new to me because when I was on leave during that summer, my squad, my company got hit pretty hard on, on a convoy security uh, mission. I didn't get hit with an ID uh, until uh, we were in uh, Baghdad in, in uh, September. That was my first ID strike. And that, it 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 woke me up to the seriousness of it. Because don't, don't take me wrong, I everything we did was serious. But just knowing that I was, you know, hit with an IED, it really sobered my perspective up. And then when that rocket hit us less than three feet behind my turret, it really hit home that, hey, if we park three feet back now it would have gone through my turret and into the crew compartment you know this is you know it sobered me up real quick um saying hey this is <laughs> you came three feet for being you know instantly killed you know it's it sobered it sobered me up for the rest of the deployment um so it it really changed my mindset even even now you know, it's uh, 11 years later and still thinking about, okay, the the little, I want to say, call it luck or divine intervention, whatever you have, that we parked where we did that day instead of the usual three feet back because we came out, out of the uh, building, you know, a little bit later than we were supposed to and the home V pretty much took our spot and we just pulled up three feet ahead of them, which, you know, saved our lives, wrecked that Humvee behind us, which was part of our squad. Um, that vehicle is totally, you know, destroyed due to that close proximity impact. And then a piece of my engine block almost went through the windshield into my, you know, one of my friend's faces. I mean that, you know, it was, it was that close. But it's just it's just sobered me up. Did it change? Um, did it change the dynamic within your team, within your squad? You know, there, there are a lot of you hear cliches like the right. you know um, you know that this is a brotherhood or mm -hmm. what have you that that you know there's there's no experience that is can be shared so closely as the experience of combat, um, right. and those things are all all true. But you know, it's especially at you know, there's there's no there's no formation, you know, that's that's already more close than a team than a squad. I mean, you're right. you're talking a very small uh, group of people. Did it did it impact the way that you guys um, sort of collectively maybe thought about your mission, went about your mission? Did it change the way that you interacted with one another? It. We had a uh, platoon sit down with the. Uh... White Falcon uh, chaplain to have like a round table discussion, first name basis, saying, hey, where we, where we were at, what we were doing at that time, so we can, you know, have like a, uh, a group therapy session. And some of the sergeants that I respected then and I still respect now uh, told us, hey, you know, for a bunch of cherries, you guys did okay, you know. You guys aren't cherries anymore. You guys are rookies. Um, 
and uh, one of the sergeants, in our, two of our sergeants in our squad that I, you know, looked up to, he was in tears saying, hey, we saw the rocket impact your ASV. We saw it burst into flames. You know, we thought you guys were dead when we, you know, ran up there. All the hatches were blown open. The fires in the crew compartment. You know, and then when you guys walked out, you know, out of the, you know, aid station or from the stairs from the office, like he, you know, he was in tears, you know, saying that they thought, you know, we were lost. And that was the first time I saw him, you know, you know, cry like that. You know, I mean, he was a sergeant that, you know, smoked me when I got to my unit. He was the one that, you know, all of them, you know, pushed us since 75% of the platoon was fresh from basic training. So he was, he was in tears and that really, you know, set in my mind that, hey, I'm a private. I mean, I'm only a year from, you know, a year out from graduation, 2006. And this guy's, you know, battle hard and he's been through, you know, deployments and stuff like that. But seeing him, you know, tear up thinking that we were dead really hit home. And, you know, it, it brought not only the team and the squad together, but the platoon and, you know, we just, you know, gave that as a, uh, uh, learning, uh, teaching, teaching point. So when we got back to the States and say, Hey, this ASV can take it. It's been proven to take a hit firsthand experience. And then we could teach the new privacy thing. Hey, this vehicle or the up armor vehicles, they're designed to take hits that you cannot imagine. And then we would show them the live leak video of the attack and just let them absorb that moment saying, Hey, we're not blowing the smoke up your ass. We're telling you how it is. So, you know, respect, you know, pretty much respect the equipment that you have and just, you know, uh, respect each other pretty much. How did the rest of the deployment go? Was it, um, was this sort of a, did it, I mean, you know, this, you go a lot of different ways and it's a very individual right. uh, thing, the way that you respond to this. It's a, you can respond and say like, this really kind of hits home, like how, how close you are at any given day in, in a combat zone to, you know, tragedy, or you can respond and say, Hey, we, we came that close and, and survived a direct hit by an IRAM to our vehicle nothing can stop us now i mean how did how how did the rest of the deployment go it, it was it was a mix of both of those um we were nicknamed team dirt diver for a reason because our team was an ied magnet for our squad there was never a time that uh an id ever went off behind us it was either in front of us or it was a uh, direct ied strike and we just it was just a regular thing i mean after the iron attack like okay, what else did I have to throw at us? They threw rockets at us. They threw mortars at us. It didn't, you know, it didn't phase us. It didn't stop us. Um, the one time, well, two times uh, in deployment that really hit home was in December when two of our friends were hit by a 60 millimeter, 60 millimeter mortar prior to them going out because it was, my uh, team's down day to, you know, 
bring our vehicle and do some maintenance. Um, well, by that time, our team was given a brand new 1151 up armored vehicle. So it was, you know, we were going to do maintenance that day. But by like 7.15, we got a call on a, you know, handheld saying, hey, uh, two of our guys just got hit by mortars in the parking lot. They're being medevaced out. Harrison Melton, you're now, you know, gunning and driving for a squally or get your gear hopping in Humvee. Uh, that was that was a scary moment because uh, we didn't know how bad they were. They were instantly brought to the aid station and then the medevac birds were brought in uh, to take them out. Um, they, they came back about a month later or so from convalescent leave and um, recovery. And then the last major hit for our platoon was March of 2008 when uh, the 82nd was leaving and the 4th ID was taking over uh, command of Audemy and Callahan that one of our, one of my good friends, uh, he was on patrol and I was, again, you know, on a down day. He, his, he was hit by a uh, rocket RPG fired from a rooftop and it hit the uh, gunner's, uh, gunner's turret right above his head and all of us had a combination of HESCO material or uh, some sort of uh, wire mesh right above our head so what they think was that the R uh, RPG hit the wire mesh and prematurely detonated above his head and uh, you know caused severe damage to himself and the uh, and the weapon systems that he had but, you know, that was like the last three months of our deployment. And he survived because uh, the gunner's pants saved, you know, his legs. The majority of his wounds were, you know, up in his you know, upper body, arms. Um, but that was, that was three months before we got back. But barring those, um, um. Well, there was one other incident where one of my friends got hit by a sniper. It was a through and through on his leg. Um, so we lost uh, him for the rest of the tour. He made it back, got his Purple Heart and, I believe, Brown Star. Uh, the two that got hit in December, they came back to our platoon. And then uh, the, the specialist or corporal that got hit by the RPG, he was sent home to Walter Reed. And he rejoined our company when we got back stateside sometime, I want to say December 2008. So five months after he got hit, he was back in our uh, company in Fort Bragg doing his uh, military police duties. So it's those events and just in our platoon, we, we became stronger. I mean, they can take one of us out, but we're going to, we're going to, you know, step up and cover his or her, uh, her weight, so it didn't, it didn't really impact our mission. It's just, it's just hit home that we, you know, like 18, 19 year olds, 20 year olds, we aren't invincible. We're not seven feet tall and bulletproof, like, you know, like they, you know, like you see in the movies. Oh, yeah, this, this is not going to happen to me. So it, it really changed my mind saying, hey, I'll, you know, I came three feet from being blown up. You know, my friends got hit by mortars, you know. We were lucky that none of our people throughout the entire company were killed. 
you know, someone's got blown up, shot at, you know, Papa Hearts, but none of our, none of our guys lost their lives, and that's what I'm real thankful for. You know, it's just, I guess you can call it luck, uh, right place, right time, or right place, wrong time, depending on your, your point of view of it, but it, it brought everybody together, you know, at, towards the end. Yeah, it's one of the things that I think in in recording now, we, you know, we've done quite a few episodes of the spear, and the idea is to get, you know, is to kind of get to the essence of the combat experience. And and as I mentioned, one of the things that I like about this is that you're telling a story of the same event from a very different perspective as another guest that we had, um, and it, it that experience is very individual. But one of the themes that comes out is. Um, that even though the experience is individual, the effects are collective and it does have that impact. It does uh, bring you together with the rest of your team, the rest of your squad, the rest of your platoon, the rest of your battalion, you know, right. it, it, it just does it. it, it you know, it's, I, I, I don't think they're the right words to describe uh, the way in which it makes you feel closer, um, but it certainly has that impact. And, and to be honest, probably makes you, uh, it makes your team, your squad, your platoon, your battalion, um, a stronger fighting force because of it, because of that shared experience of, of, of combat. So Patrick, thanks very much. Um, really appreciate you making some time to, uh, to, to, to share your story with us. Well, thank you, John, for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for listening to The Spear. Remember, you can find and subscribe to The Spear on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with MWI on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And check out the great new articles, podcast episodes, and more that we publish every day on the MWI website. Thanks again for listening.